everyone. It's Michelle Ola here. I am the host of the Language Lounge, and today I'm talking to my coworker and colleague Lexi, and we're going to talk about IPAs and kind of some of the wonderful things about them and some of the challenges. And Lexi's going to talk about uh, her actful presentation where she talks about what's it called, Lexi? Remind me the the title of it. I thought it was a great title. It's called Leave It at School, Effectively Manage IPAs and Reclaim Your Life. I love that. See, that is a bold statement. I love bold statements, right, of how what this is going to do. So, Lexi, why don't you just introduce yourself, tell a little bit about, you know, your uh, circumstances, your history, um, you know, I know you're a former Spanish teacher, and talk about why this subject is, like, near and dear to your heart. Sure. So, my name is Lexi Bushert, and I'm located in Oregon, And I taught high school Spanish for 10 years. I taught all over the state. I taught in Central Oregon, Southern Oregon, and then I ended up back in the Portland area where I'm from. And during that time, I transitioned from being a very traditional type teacher, the way that I learned through all my wonderful teachers growing up. Um, But it was kind of a traditional setting. And during that 10-year period where I was actually teaching, I was exposed to all these different methodologies. I went to workshops. I went to conferences. And so I really spent a lot of time transitioning to being a more proficiency-based teacher. And along with that was incorporating IPAs. So I would say probably year four or five, I started working with a former colleague who had just moved to Oregon and basically had been writing her own IPAs with her former department for a few years. And we were teaching Spanish three together. It was the first time I'd ever taught Spanish three. And she said, you know, let's make some IPAs together. And so she really kind of coached me through that whole process. And I really liked it. I liked what we were doing, but it was a lot of work. I have to be honest with you. It's so, it can be so time consuming because We know IPAs are made up of three different modes of communication, right? We've got your interpretive task, interpersonal, presentational. So every unit, I'm going to have students do three tasks. And then I had 200 students on my caseload because I had six classes between 32 and 37 kids. Let's stop really quick because, you know, I'm as of... I haven't been a teacher. I was not a teacher in my first career. And when I hear IPAs, I don't necessarily (laughs) think something for school, right? So just for those out there that may not know what we're talking about, no, we're not talking about India Pale Ale beers, right? What are we talking about? So we're talking about integrated performance assessments, right? So you're right. They, they take those three parts, the, um, you know, the interpretive, the interpersonal and the presentational. So they're a lot, right. Mm -hmm. And all those tasks are connected. So it's super hard to leave out a certain part, but, um, or in a traditional way that it's done. Right. So awesome. So you loved them, but they made your life a little bit challenging. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, so mostly like what parts of it was the mo- was the most challenging for you? Do you think like giving them, grading them, scoring them? Yes, yes, yes. Or all, what? all of it. All yeah, of it. all of it. All of it for sure. Well, and I think it's a big transition for students. I mean, it's definitely a big transition for teachers to start using these types of integrated performance assessments, Yeah. especially if you come from a very traditional or legacy practice background. Mm-hmm. I like that term legacy practices. And So it's a transition for teachers, but then it's also an adjustment for students because they're so used to, 
knowing that there's a right answer and that they're going to fill in a box or a line with the right answer. And IPAs are really asking them to go beyond that. Mm-hmm. And so there's some form or some level of ambiguity that needs to be comfortable for students. And that's really a challenge for them. But I think once they get more experience with that, then they're more comfortable and really can show you much more language than if you're just asking them for one specific thing. I wonder too, do you think, Lexi, that that it was also maybe a challenge for you coming from a traditional assessment sort of piece? I know for me, you know, that that not all teachers are maybe comfortable with that ambiguity as well. Like, what does sure. that mean, right? Do, sure. do you have that same experience? Yes, because I always knew previously, you know, what the right answer was and what exactly I wanted students to put in that box or on that line. And now to give them an open prompt or even for an interpretive activity to say, okay, listen to this or read this. Now I need you to write down the main idea. What are some supporting details? That's really open-ended. And that can be really scary for me as a teacher, because how do I decide that they were successful with that task? So it's definitely a paradigm shift but it's a good paradigm shift. And that's part of what I talked about, or I'm going to talk about in this, Mm -hmm. this actual presentation that I'm giving is the whole paradigm shift that students and teachers need to do. And one of those is stop looking at this as a test or as, you know, here's a box we have to check off, or here's a hoop we have to jump through and start looking at it as more of a demonstration of, or even a celebration. I've heard some teachers say that too. Let's yeah. celebrate what you've learned and really show what they're able to do outside of that box. I love that. I love that term celebration. I was I was just training some teachers and, and we were having a conversation about IPAs and rubrics and scoring and all of these things, you know, that are kind of hard to wrap your head around sometimes when you're transitioning. And and one of them said, you know, but they're all passing. You know, they're all, they're all meeting expectations. What am I supposed to do? You know, and I love, you know, your idea that, yeah, that's great. Let's celebrate that. Right. Let's, let's celebrate that, that we all got where we were supposed to go. Right. And it is a very different mindset um, and a different paradigm for sure. And I think that was a concern for me too. I thought, man, looking Mm -hmm. at this rubric, there are a lot of kids getting a lot of really good grades that might not have before but I don't see that as a bad thing at all. I think that's Mm -hmm. really encouraging, especially now in the climate that we're in, in the world that we're in. And talking to all of the teachers that I talk to now, I mean, grades are a really, really big deal and a really touchy subject. And I think the more opportunity that we can give for students to be successful and show success, it's gonna make it easier for everybody, teachers Mm -hmm. and students. Yeah. And it, and it is, you know, I, I love the idea of how exciting and liberating that can be. But like you mm-hmm. said, there are some challenges that you do have to kind of deal with as a teacher when you are kind of embracing these performance assessments or performance celebrations. I think that's what we should call them <laughs> from now on. We'll call them performance celebrations at the end of the unit. Wouldn't that be just a whole different uh, way oh, for students class for your performance right? celebration. That's, that's a good feeling. I think yeah. we're on to something <laughs> trademark, right? <Yeah>. Copyright. <laughs> but so, we're so, doing so, workshops. Look for those. Right? <laughs> that, I think that's great though. I love that. So the performance celebrations, but, um, but there is that like 
how do I grade it? So what, what are some of the top things? Or why don't you just start with some of the things that, that teachers may struggle with? And more importantly, because it's one thing to commiserate, empathize, sympathize sort of a thing, but you have some very concrete um, that's one thing I really love about you, honestly, is that where I can tend to stay like up in the air with this, you know, sort of pedagogy and best practices, you like to get in there and get really deep in there and and really look at it like, but as a teacher, like, that's great. But here's, you know, here's the challenge. And here's some, you know, ways so that I've done it, I've hacked it and, you know, done some different things with it. So, so what are, you know, what are some of them that you want to talk about today? Sure. So I think I like what you said that I, I really am trying, especially in the capacity that I, that I have now, the role that I have now really try to keep in mind what teacher life is like right now, because I think for those people outside of the classroom, everybody outside of the classroom, it's really hard to know even, and I taught during the 2020 and 2021 school year. So I had that context, but even the 21, 22 school year that came after that was an it's entirely different. different world. And I know that just talking to teachers, I mean, we can't, if you're not in the classroom, I think it's hard to know exactly what it feels like right now. So mm-hmm. my approach to talking to teachers this year, especially with this ACPL presentation was really, how can you lighten your load? Because that's what everybody's looking for. Mm-hmm. And so I started off thinking about how to make IPAs more manageable for teachers was what did I struggle with? So I have two pictures that I share at the beginning of this or two sets of pictures. One of them is my to-do list. So mm-hmm. every year before winter break and before the end of the school year, I would have these to-do lists and they were huge. And it would say things like periods two, three, four, interpretive task, periods four, five, six, interpersonal task. And it was just this huge grading list, right? And that just it felt good to write the list, but it didn't feel good to sit there during spring break and look at the list, right? Or, right. or ignore the list until right before <laughs> right before yeah. you went back, right? Exactly. Yes. Um, um, and then I also have pictures of stacks of tests with my cats sitting on them because the cats are trying to tell us to stop working, right? They really, funny. They really are. Like, we don't that's bring, so true. We don't need to bring the work home to interrupt our personal lives. And the cats are telling us that. That's um, great. So, uh, so anyways, my first suggestion really, or the first thing that I tried, um, when I was trying to make these IPAs more manageable was to limit the amount of tasks that I was grading. So we talked about that each IPA has three different tasks. You've got the interpretive interpersonal presentational students theoretically should do all three tasks because they're interconnected. So really for the whole assessment to make sense, they need to be doing all three tests. That doesn't mean that you need to be grading all three tests every single time. Because again, I had 200 students, that's going to be 600 tasks per unit. That's completely not manageable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not manageable, not, not sustainable in a Mm -hmm. long term career choice. So what, how can you just grade one of those? So think about when I'm getting to my grading period or the quarter or the end of the unit or whenever I need to put that grade in, what do I need to assess the most? If we've been doing tons and tons of interpersonal practice in class, I know where my students are at with their interpersonal skills. I might not even look at that assessment. They might do that assessment, but I'm not going to look at it. But I haven't graded anything presentational this year at all. So I really want to focus on all the presentational tasks for students. So that's one thing to do is just cut it down to one or two modes per assessment. 
Another thing that you can do too is to um, kind of vary it. So let's say you have six periods. Maybe for two periods, you look at the interpersonal task. For two periods, you look at the interpersonal. For two periods, you look at the presentational. So that way, for yourself as a teacher, you don't have to sit down and read 200 different presentational tasks. You're going to mix it up for yourself. So you've got 60 of these, 60 of these, 60 of these. So that that might change the mindset around, oh, man, I I really got to sit down and do this to more of a, let's look at what students are doing in different classes. Let's compare. Let's break it down to these this one mode that I'm looking at this one time, just so that you're really lightening the load for yourself. I love that. And I, I, I think a couple of things are important in a performance, you know, performance focused classroom, performance based classroom, you're doing interpretive for the whole unit. You're doing interpersonal for the whole unit. You're doing mm. some presentational, right? So do you have to have that end of the unit one or do you have to grade it or to what extent do you have to grade it and that sort of thing. Right. And, um, that that's okay. Like that you yeah. don't have, there's no IPA police, right. No. Like watching us and making sure that we grade all of it. Right. Um, you know, and I think I the thing love, to keep in yeah. mind too, is what is your district asking? Because if they're asking you to report, I think I had to report on each mode once a semester. Mm-hmm. So that's really a low bar for reporting. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to go over that if I don't have the capacity to go over that. I mean, I'm not going to get paid more because I'm grading more modes of communication than anybody yeah. else. So just to look at what are my requirements that I need to hit and really make that your, your, you know, your baseline and then go from there. I think that that's really important. Yeah. And you know, the other thing I, that what you, when you were just saying that, that strikes me is at the end of the unit, it is summative. So, you know, you're not giving feedback. They're not really, yes, they are going to build on what they learn. You know, they're going to, you know, languages always build on, you know, itself, but you know, if you're doing some formative assessments and you're giving them feedback early, then that releases that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of that pressure kind of at the end. Um, and so, I know a lot of teachers that don't grade the inter- interpretive like ever, yeah. like they do it to get the experience of it, um, you know, for have students to have something to talk about in the next mode and in their presentation, but they don't, they don't grade that. Right. Or they find a yeah. way to make it multiple choice or to make it auto graded or something like that as well. But um, yes. And to add to that part about the in- not grading the interpretive is I know that cheating is a big concern mm-hmm. across the board for every level. And when you look at what can students most easily cheat Mm -hmm. on, it's going to be that interpretive task, right? Because there are probably more correct answers for interpretive tasks, whereas the interpersonal and the presentational can be more open-ended. So when you take away the grading piece from that interpretive task, you're really taking away the reason for them to cheat because they're at that point, then they're just doing the interpretive task to get that information. And why not even just go over that interpretive task with students, have them all do it on their own and then come together, talk to a partner, um, talk about it as a class, because then you're really making sure they got that information and kind of formatively, you can see where they're at with that interpretive task without having to enter a formal grade for them. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, Alex, I was or Lexi, I was going to ask you, do you, have you ever used the talk rubric, the interpersonal talk rubric before? No. That's something as well that I really love. And it's just T-A-L-K. And it's an interpersonal rubric. And we can try and I'll try and remember. I'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, but what I love about it is that it is you use it over time. And so you're, you know, assessing students in the different, you know, in the interpersonal mode in under these different categories, but not all on the same day. You might take five kids and looking at the the talk part of it that, you know, and it's just a really manageable way to do it so that you don't have to do everything and all the weight of the assessment is at the end. And so um, the talk rubric, that interpersonal rubric, I really, really like that as well, just as a way to like, then you like, you know, then at the end, if you've been doing these interpersonals and you've got grades for them and you've, you know, assessed them and given them feedback, you know, throughout this time, you know, that might be the one that you choose to maybe not, not grade mm -hmm. every time formally at the end. Mm -hmm. um, so I love that. Awesome. What other, what other, um, anything else as far as that grading of that, that IPA, any other tricks or, um, tips that you kind of have for that? Yes, absolutely. So awesome. I think that one thing, so we were just talking about rubrics, but having a quick way to provide feedback to students, it was really key for me. So when I first started out, especially with the IPAs, I was leaving a lot of corrective feedback. So I was going through and circling every single thing I didn't understand or every error. I had this whole color coded system with all these highlighters. <laughs> That's and, a, that takes a lot of time, right? Well, man, it, it takes so much time. And honestly, Nothing broke my heart more than spending hours and hours leaving all this corrective feedback for a student to look at the paper for five seconds, look for the grade at the top, and yep. then just throw it back at you. Like, ah, I'm good. Got it. Yep. So, no, I left that feedback for a reason. Yeah. But realizing that that wasn't the best type of feedback that students wanted or needed was very empowering. Mm, I they love that. More of an approach where I was finding a good rubric relying on the rubric to leave the feedback for me in a way because I could just highlight yeah. the right boxes and then leaving one general comment and really focusing on that proficiency driven comment yeah. where I was telling students what they did well and then giving a suggestion for them to improve as they're moving on. Because if they have that one personalized comment, that's going to mean more to them and give them something concrete to work towards rather than a bunch of little tiny marks all over a paper. And it took so much less time for me. And I really could, yeah. for example, if I'm reading a paragraph and I'm not looking for the corrective feedback, I'm just reading it. I'm going to enjoy it more and I'm going to have a better idea of where a student is at rather than stopping every other word or every other line to, to write. Something yeah, down. absolutely. Um, and I, I think that's so you're absolutely right that the, the value of a good rubric. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think I ever knew how bad my rubrics were until I graded a bunch. And I'm like, this is not at all what this was supposed yeah. to be. Right. And so having yes. a good rubric, using it consistently, making sure, um, you know, I think we talked a little bit before about kind of that ambiguity. Um, yes. cause sometimes rubrics can be a little like you, you know, uses many or yeah. uses a few. And so, you know, kind of establishing what is many, what do you consider a few? What do you think is, you know, some of those things with students ahead of time? And mm -hmm. if they know what it means and you know what it means, 
literally all you have to do then is like you said, kind of highlight and, and be able to live, leave it in, in that way. And I, I love that. I think that's, you know, a really easy kind of quick way that you can do that. Um, and I think, and really did you print powerful. all them or do you have, where did you have a system where you could do it online? Oh, I, I'm all paper. I was all, uh, you're all paper. paper. Oh okay. yeah. <laughs> all paper. I liked having the rubric there. I liked yeah. printing it out and putting it on the front of the assessment and showing it to students ahead of time. I liked highlighting. Um, and I liked having that paper trail that I could go back and mm-hmm. refer to if I really needed it. Um, awesome. and I, and I know it's, it's very strange now, especially after many of us were teaching online for so long that we probably have migrated to a lot of these online tools and there's a lot of really great online tools mm-hmm. out there. And I think it's just finding what's going to work for you the best. And to be honest, I've, a lot of the teachers I've talked to this year said, I need to go back to paper and pencil. We all need to go back to paper and pencil yeah. for a while. And I think that's great. But if you yeah. have that digital tool that you love, I think that's great too. Yeah. I was just curious because I'm old school and I like printed yeah. things. I like actually highlighting it and that sort of thing, but I wasn't sure what you would do. Awesome. All right. What else? So, th- so you don't have to grade everything. You, uh, you rely on a really good rubric. I love those. Those are two really, really good uh, suggestions so far. Yes. And then my next suggestion, which might not be the most popular one, but I think is necessary is that when you do have things to grade, it's committing to the grading time Mm. and setting that aside. Because I was always guilty of filling the bag full of papers and carrying it back and forth. It made it, it made its nightly trip to my house where it didn't leave my bag. And then it would make its daily trip back to school where it didn't leave the bag. And then it would be two weeks later and any feedback that I'm going to leave for students is not going to be timely or effective because it's been two weeks. So I, I shifted to turning my grading time into kind of a self-care ritual in a way. So I would set aside, yes, I would set aside blocks of time. I would say, okay, I'm going to do a half an hour after school today. I'm going to do a half an hour during my prep today. Um, just consciously make a decision that that was my set aside time. I was going to grade, put my phone away, lock my Uh door, turn off my lights in my classroom if I needed to. Yeah. Whatever (laughs) you you need to do to protect that time. Right. And then I would treat myself. So I would go get a cup of coffee that I wouldn't normally mm-hmm. buy. And I would turn on my favorite music that I might not listen to otherwise. And just try to create an environment where I'm taking care of myself, but I'm also really focused so that I can get that work done. And then I can go home and do what I want to do in the evening instead of worry about yeah. that stack of paper sitting in my bag. That's great. I love that. I think that's awesome. Because again, it may seem um, it, it just getting it done, right? Isn't that, it's a yeah. good feeling, right? To just yeah. to to put that time aside and, and just and just get it done, and then not yeah. have it hanging over you. I think I think all teachers, I know I'm super was super guilty of the same thing, dragging a cart. Like I didn't even have a bag anymore. It was like a pulling cart. I'm like <laughs> this is ridiculous, <laughs> right? Yeah, like this is ridiculous. Why? Why? You know. Um, and, and you're right. And it's not only stressful for us and for the students, because they're kind of in this limbo yeah, of not knowing know. how they did. They don't you know, necessarily know. And it's not great for our mental health. I mean, just yeah. to have that hanging over us like that. So, And, and there's so much talk about self-care, especially when it comes to teachers. I mean, how mm-hmm. many staff meetings have people sat through in the last two years where it's like practice self-care, you need to practice self-care. But we don't really talk about what that actually looks like. Yeah. And 
it's important for us to find ways to treat yourself yeah. while you're also well, yeah. getting some things done. Cause the, the yeah. thing is we can't take, we can't take that piece of work away. Unfortunately, I wish I, I wish I could tell mm-hmm. everybody how to take that piece of work away, but especially when your caseloads are really big, like mine was finding ways to work that into your life to make it less work. And then also make yourself feel good about what you're doing too. That's really great. That's a great suggestion. I love that. Awesome. What else do you have? What are some other ideas that you wanted to share? Well, I, I, another thing that really helped me on this journey to talking about assessment differently with my students was an attitude adjustment for me and an attitude adjustment for students. So I kind of mentioned this earlier, but I stopped talking about tests Mm-hmm. Because that can create so much stress for students. And there were times in my career where I was using that as a motivator, which is crazy to think about. <laughs> you, have a, you have a test next week. Did you, right. you better start. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and I, I mean, maybe as a, stu- as a student, that was really motivating for me because I was really motivated by grades and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, and I'll say that, I'll keep saying this over and over, in our current climate. Yeah in education now and with after the last three years, I think that that's not going to be the motivator for students that we think Mm -hmm. it is. So I stopped talking about tests. I stopped talking about anticipating a test. Sometimes I wouldn't even mention that we were going to have a test. We would just show up the next day in class. And that was the activity that day was the assessment. Mm -hmm. And if you want to call it performance celebration, yeah, you go. (laughs) evidence of learning or demonstration of learning or assessment. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's lots of different ways that we can label that so that our perception of it changes, but to not build it up into a big thing, because I think about my students that had test anxiety or my students, you know, who had a lot of things going on or were overwhelmed for whatever reason, knowing that that stress of the test was there, they might not even show up. So then Mm -hmm. I got to worry about retakes and then I got to worry about, you know, do I have to call home? How am I going to get this kid in? on and on and on. But if we take away that big, stressful, looming title and deadline away from that and turn it into more of what it should be, which is a demonstration of learning, then students can say, okay, I'm just going to show up and see, and see what I can do that day. And, and that's the way it's going to be. And to tie into that, I, 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 I started offering retakes and I started advertising retakes like crazy. Because before, you know, when it's a big, scary test, you get one try and that's it. And so you better study because you got that one try. But when we shift to this is you demonstrating your learning, um, show me what you got. It can even just be show me what you got today. Show me what Mm -hmm. you're able to do today. And if you need to take a retake, that's okay. We can figure that out. And that really takes away a lot of the stress because then students think, okay, if I really bomb this today. And I want to go back and and do some more learning, study, do whatever I need to do. She will allow me to come back and retake that. She'll support me in that, which I did. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, once I switched to doing performance-based assessments and I switched to rubrics that were really based on proficiency levels, I had very few kids that ever wanted to retake. I really did. I mean, I would have out of 200 students, I'd maybe have three or four that would want to retake. And typically they were the kids that got B's and wanted A's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when we're switching to that lens of performance-based, 
and we're looking at their proficiency levels and their ability levels, students are really surprised about where they are. And we talked a little bit earlier about everybody getting a good grade. That's okay. That's really okay. And it takes stress off of the students and it takes stress off of me as a teacher. So I think those two things, just really reframing the assessment to more of a class activity that we're doing to demonstrate our learning. And if you don't do well and you want to do better, here's another opportunity down the line are two huge shifts. I love that. And what the, one of the things I really like about that too, is that it, it, it's less value judgment, like judgy, right? Like it's, this is where you're at, like wherever you are, you are. And I feel like we just don't, you know, we don't value that. So if this is where you're at and you want to be at that next level or to get to that next level, this is kind of what you need to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is the path you kind of need to follow that. That's where that feedback comes in or that good rubric that you can highlight, like add more connector words or, you know, be more, add more vocabulary or whatever it might be. Um, But it's kind of just makes it, even though it's much more fun and personal, personal, Mm -hmm. personal, it's also just data. It's almost like you're just like, let's just take a snapshot of where you're at and and then let's kind of move forward as opposed to that deficit mindset of, you know, let's do a quiz and let's see how much you don't know. Let's, let's Mm -hmm. just, let's just add up all those wrong answers. Right. And let's, let's give you a score and and let's really tell you what you don't know. And that's what I love about, you know, that idea of, of performance assessments, you know, based on, you know, something objective, your, your goal that you want to reach. Um, but again, they're kind of, it can be challenging sometimes to, to grade those. So I love that you're coming up with some, you know, some tips to be able to make that a little bit easier. So I think that's Yeah, going great. back to what you just said, I, I, my second school that I worked in, the second school that I worked in, we were in a, the entire school was transitioning to proficiency-based reporting. Mm. So we couldn't even put in letter grades anymore. We literally had to put in exceeds, meets, approaching mm-hmm. I forget what the other one was. So we had to put those into our gradebook. We couldn't put anything else. And I know that that was a challenge for all of us at the time because it was new. And one of the administrators said to us as a group, your quizzes or your assessments can't be gotchas. Mm -hmm. They can't be gotcha. You didn't study gotcha. You didn't do this work. And at the time I had a hard time understanding what that meant but now being in performance-based assessment for a few years and really kind of tweaking it to make it work for my situation, now I understand what that meant. And it's hard too, because sometimes I, I always struggled with management. That was mm-hmm. something that I feel like I never perfected. I mean, it definitely proved over the years. So that was an easy management technique sometimes was to say, Oh, that's it. Everybody piece of paper out. Let's go. Yeah. I'm taking a quiz right now. You guys are all crazy. So you must know this content. I remember. <laughs> right. <thing>. <laughs> oh man. I can just hear myself saying exactly the same right. thing. <laughs> so oh, yeah. it was, it's hard because, you know, we have these, these patterns that we have established for whatever reason, you know, maybe it was the culture of the school. Maybe it was the way that we learned, um, whatever the reason was. And and sometimes it's really hard to break out of those things because they're comfortable for us and it's what we really know. And and doing something new can take work on the front end. And I and I think that's really what I'm trying to share is that here's all the mistakes I made, here's all the growth that I had. And don't 
I want to, I want to save you some of that time. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm sure that is greatly appreciated, <laughs> you know, passing on that, that, you know, we don't need to all go through the same, the same stuff, right. The same hardships and, and yeah. like slug through it. If we can make our paths and other people's paths a little bit easier, that's, that's a great, you know, a great goal to have. So. Yes, for sure. And I think too, just not even around assessment, but that classroom environment of language, focusing on language growth or language proficiency or language acquisition is so powerful mm -hmm. too. Um, because one of the things that I wrote down that it, with in terms of paradigm shift, what kind of paradigm shifts can you make is I stopped making a study guide for the assessments because I wanted class to be the study guide. Mm -hmm. I wanted I, all of our learning experiences that we're having together during our class time, that should prepare you for the performance assessment that we're doing at the end of this unit or period of study or whatever. Because if we are truly focusing on building our language skills, keeping in mind proficiency levels of students and the goals for them, then everything that we're doing together should be a reflection of that assessment that we're giving at the end. And, and yeah. so then it turns into, you know, my class, it's really important that you show up, not just to get the contents, but so that you can get that language practice that you're not getting outside of class. And then when you do have those students that, you know, don't feel ready for your assessment or show up and are nervous for the assessment, that's a good opportunity to pull that student aside and say, okay, have you been to class? Okay. Have you been participating in class? Because if you've been to class and been participating in class, then you're ready to do all of these tasks that are in that assessment. But if you haven't been coming, why, why haven't you been coming and how can we, you know, help that situation and how can I help you prepare? And then, then it turns into a bigger conversation where instead mm -hmm. of just, Oh, I got my link, my my graduation requirement language class that I need to go yeah. to, and I need to pass it with this many points and get this grade on the assessment. Then it becomes in my class, we spend our time learning a language, acquiring a language. Here's all the activities that we do. And now the assessment's going to be a reflection of that. That's so important. That's, that's so important that what you're doing in class every day is what they're doing at the end, right? Again, that, yeah. that idea of that celebration, uh, a performance and celebration where, you know, this is not what we, we've been doing all this. We've been doing this for a whole unit, right? Yeah. And you weren't very experienced with it at the beginning of the unit. And look how much, you know, you've been able to gather and acquire since then and kind of go forth with it. So, yes, that's awesome. But it is a hard shift. And it's I think- a hard shift. And- to add on to that, I think that teachers need to take into consideration what what students what do students do to show you that they've met you know your goal or they're successful in that assessment, but not go overboard. Mm -hmm. What is the, the what is the one thing you want them to show you? And so the example that I have that I that I bring out all the time um, was the first I feel like IPA that I I I really gave. And the premise of it was fantastic. Students were pretending that they were doing the Camino de Santiago in Spain, which is a very long hike for those of you that are not familiar with it. And uh, so I, we asked them to research some cities in Spain in Spanish, get the information from that city, and then use that to write diary entries about their trip. So the kids really actually liked learning about the Camino de Santiago. 
and they're very invested in this assessment. However, again, that was Spanish three. I had 120 students in Spanish three that year. I asked them to research five cities and write (laughs) five journal entries. So 10 pages of writing times 120 students. I look back on that and I think, why, why did I think I needed to do all that? So when one entry or two entries could have been sufficient is what you're saying, right? Yes. Yes. So they could have looked at one city and they could have written one journal entry and that would have been sufficient for me to see their presentational writing, see their interpretive skills, reading that city. And then they have a conversation about their trip and there's their interpersonal task. Boom. All done right there. Um, so I think when you're looking at, you know, your goals, what you want your students to be able to do at the end of the unit, what is the, start with the bare minimum that students need to do to show you that they're successful. And then if you want to build from there, go ahead and build from there. But I've made way too much work for myself and I will never forget that one assessment. It was great. (laughs) I really enjoyed it. But going home at winter break with a stack of papers. Oh, yeah. Two feet. That was a rough (laughs) That was a rough one for sure. Oh my gosh. And yeah. And, and I think it all comes from well-meaning. You wanted to give oh. them that experience. They had that yeah. experience and, and it, we're not to, you know, I, I don't want people thinking like, oh, well, we're just gonna, you know, not really care and not do this. It's, it's really about being intentional about yes. what your goal is, mm-hmm. what the purpose is, what kind of feedback do you want to give them? And then and then kind of just accepting that it's okay, right? It's okay that you don't do all of it. Yeah. As my dog is going crazy, <laughs> probably the UPS guy or Amazon, I'm guessing. Hey, that's as another, is life, right? Well, and <laughs> yeah. another another pandemic result of uh, us all being yeah. online all the time. And so we're we're very yeah. used to that, right? Right. It is what it is at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's I think that's great. Anything else that you had that you wanted to kind of share? Yes, I think um, cheating is a is a huge thing that comes up. And every time I spend time with teachers, whether it's as part of my job or just hanging out with my former mm-hmm. colleagues or people that I know, we always end up talking about cheating, especially with world language because of the wide availability of online translators, all these tools. Mm-hmm. And like we, like we just said with how, how our world's different now, you know, being online for so long, students feel comfortable knowing that they have that computer translator there for them. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised when we came back. So we were online for most of the 2021 school year. And then when we came back for hybrid, I had students who I knew were very capable students and who were confident well, I wouldn't say necessarily confident in their language ability, but they were able to, you know, produce the language that they needed to produce. And I see them on their phone, Google translating everything that they're, they've, they've already done. So they've already written, you know, sentences mm-hmm. or already done this activity or whatever it was. And then they're using Google translate. And I would ask them and I'd say, why, why you did this correctly, or this makes sense, or this was great. Why do you feel the need to do this? And they said, oh, I just really wanted to check myself. So I think it goes back to that ambiguity piece where students aren't really comfortable not being 100% sure that they have the correct answer. Mm-hmm. And I think cheating really comes out of that. I think it's not even that 
I mean, sometimes, yes, it's, student, oh, I didn't show up. I didn't do the work. I need to, I just need to turn right. something in. But I think so much of it is really just insecurity about what they're able to do or they're unsure about their language skills. And that's something that I think we can all relate to for sure. I mean, I was just going to say, uh, if I'm writing something formal in, the, in not my first language, yeah, I ask somebody, yeah. I check with somebody, I, you know, run it through something to see where, look at word reference to see if I, you know, have it correctly or whatever. And so, you know, it's not always this nefarious sort of reason. No, sometimes it is. Sometimes it absolutely is. The kid just is not going to do, you know, they're just trying to get away with something. They're not going to do the work, et cetera, et cetera. We're not, I'm not denying that exists, but a lot of times I think, I think you're right. It's confirmation or it's wanting to do more than they're able to do at that one point and not feeling maybe satisfied with that. I don't know. Yes, I think you're totally right. And I, and it's so hard too because you don't want to discourage them from you know their 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 goal of being 100% accurate. Like if that's their goal right. and they really, you know, sure, go ahead. Um, but it's hard to say, okay, now this is our performance celebration time. So mm-hmm. I'm going to need you to put all of those tools away because yeah. I just want to see what's in your brain. And that can be really uncomfortable, especially if they've been online for however much time and now they just have a paper and a pencil. Mm -hmm. So I think it it takes a lot of energy of us, not necessarily energy, but I think it just takes some time for us to have the conversation with our students that we don't expect perfection and we want to know what's in their heads. And again, that retake option is always there. So if you have those things that you really wanted to use and you couldn't, you know, how can we improve for next time? And, and I think that that conversation can be very, can open us up as well. We can show our vulnerability as language learners and say, you know, Mm -hmm. here's where I struggled. Here's the times where I messed up, but it was okay. In the end, I learned from that. And then sharing that with students so that they also feel comfortable with the ambiguity and also the possibility that they're not going to have all the words that they need all the time. And having those conversations can make students feel more comfortable taking those risks because that is something that they really need to do in our classes that they might not have to do in any of their other classes or as much as they need to do with our classes. So yeah, just just feeling comfortable taking that risk and showing them that it's it's okay and maybe even giving them some tools for coping with that ambiguity or discomfort. I think that's I think that's so um insightful. I think that's absolutely true. Um I think we forget sometimes how vulnerable it is to learn another language and to know like you're not doing this right. <laughs> like uh, you're not doing this perfect. You're not pronouncing this exactly like you should and, and know it. Right. Yes. And not be at that place where you're able to do that yet. And so having, you know, giving students that ability to feel comfortable and to know that that's, um, you know, that that's where they're supposed to be. That's exactly yeah. where you should be. Right. And yes. that that's a great place to be, I think is a good reminder um, for everybody. Um, and you're, and you know, you're right about forgetting what that's like for us, because it's bits for some of us, it's, you know, been a long time since we've been in a target language situation where 
you know, we, we remember it makes our brains tired. It exhausts us. It's frustrating. I was, I was at the Oregon Washington conference a couple of weeks ago when I went to a session where we did an immersion Chinese circle and it was Mm -hmm. very novice low Chinese circle. And we learned 10 or 15 words. And some of those words I had already known, but it was half an hour, only Chinese, you know, acting out, speaking, not a single word of English. And it was fun and engaging, but it was exhausting yeah. because it's just asking for such a higher order of thinking from students. So I think it's also, you know, we talk about that all the time. We have to remember what it's like as a student, but we really, really do for, for world language, especially because yeah, it can be very taxing. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things I was going to mention about, about the whole cheating and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, I did virtual school. I taught taught actual virtual school for three years. And so, yeah, it's definitely runs rampant, right, for a lot of things. Um, but one of the things I think as a way to address that is when you're looking at, an, you know, an IPA as that end of that path and where you are now, it really, to me, it, it just confirms what you already know about that student. And it should just confirm what the student themselves already know of where they're at. Like there, there isn't that gotcha sort of moment because you've done this path. And I I think there isn't that surprise at the end. Like they know that if they've been participating in class and doing the things that they, you know, that they should, this is just confirmation of their level of where they're at. Right. And and it's and and that's the other thing I'd say about grading (laughs) these IPAs is that you're not going to be surprised. Right. If you're teaching your class in the same manner that you're assessing, you know, you pretty much know how Gabriel's doing. Right. You know, because you've seen him interact in all of these modes of communication. And so you don't have to sit there and grade and do corrective feedback and circle all of the wrong endings. Right. Because it's not you know, that's not really the, when it's not the purpose and that's not what your, your intention was, and that's not how you taught, but it's also less exhausting. Cause you're just like, yeah, I've seen Gabriel, he's doing novice mid and that's what he's been doing this whole time. And, you know, I'm looking here and I'm like, yep, that pretty much is novice mid shoop, move on, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so when you're, you're teaching and your assessments align in that performance yeah. sort of way, I think that makes, and what it comes back to what we were talking about, it makes it easier to do the grading. It makes it easier mm-hmm. and less time consuming, you know, to be able to do that because really you have that idea already of where, where they're at. You've, yeah. you've seen evidence along the way. And this is just that confirmation that, yeah, they got there. Yeah. I love that. It's a confirmation of their performance celebration. <laughs> I love that. See, we're going to, this is great. I'm loving we it. We need to so. be trademarking these terms right <laughs> yes, now. Right. And, I do. I two, love that. Two things that that made me think of. First of all, that's why talking to your students about proficiency levels is so powerful, especially in the lower levels, I find, because I, and I used to start off the year, show the actual pyramid and I'd ask, okay, where do you think your English is? Where do you think your Spanish is? Where do you think my Spanish is? Those were always really great conversations. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> and so if students know, Hey, I'm a novice low and my goal is novice mid. And here's the description of novice mid that takes a lot of stress away because they can yeah. see, oh, I'm just using chunks of language. I'm just using simple sentences. And then they realize, okay, those big, long extended sentences that get put on the board, that's not necessarily what I need to be doing. She's just showing me examples of how I can improve. 
And to bring it back to here's my realistic expectation for you is super powerful for students. Yeah. And then going back to what you said about you're seeing students work throughout the, the period that you're teaching them, that also ties into the cheating thing as well. And that Mm -hmm. actually took a lot of stress away for me, especially when we went to online, because if I'm having those frequent check-ins with my students, I know where their language is for the most part, even if I couldn't, you know, pull out my class list and rate everybody right then I at least had an idea. So then if I get a student that turns in a paper where they're using all of these constructions that they don't usually see until they're like intermediate high speakers and they're turning that in, in Spanish one or Spanish two, I know that, Hey, something happened here. And then that starts a conversation with that student. And usually that conversation ends with, I have a really hard time leaving feedback on work that's not yours. I really need to see work that's yours in order for me to leave appropriate feedback. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of taking it off of the student in the action, putting it on the work and then saying, okay, here's my expectation. Here's where that didn't get met. So let's try again because that ends up being more work on the student in the end and less work on the teacher. And in my experience, that only happens once or twice and then it doesn't happen again. Uh, absolutely. Because it ends up being more work. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love the reframing of it that I can't celebrate somebody else's yeah. work, right? <laughs> I, I want to celebrate your work wherever I want that to celebrate is. Celebrate your work. Exactly there where you, you are. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Whatever that might be. So I love that. That's awesome. Any any other last minute kind of tips or tricks before we kind of wrap this up? I think you came, um, you really brought some concrete sort of actionable um, suggestions and, you know, tips for managing those piles of papers, Um, but also just some, you know, great reminders and some, you know, those shifts in paradigm that, that have been happening in our field for a while that, you know, not everybody's maybe fully um, embraced yet and, and how you can not be afraid of it. (laughs) And, um, that it's that, yes, it does look daunting and and the grading part of IPAs and the giving part of ID. Do you have any suggestions about the giving part of IPAs? Cause they can take days and there are, you know, that can be a a concern that teachers have as well is like, how do I do this? How do I give all three modes over in a manageable way? Yes. So I, one of the biggest things for me was present. I struggled with presentational tasks, especially presentational speaking, Mm -hmm. because if I had them record it, oh man, I really did not like sitting, sitting in my free time, listening to hours and hours of recording. Not, not on the top of my list of what I wanted to do on the weekend. (laughs) I'll be honest with that. And then if they presented one by one in class, that oh, presents torture for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> so many things, right? So what I ended up doing, I had this document um, that I have no idea where I got it. Uh, somebody gave it to me in my first year teaching. And you basically give all of your students a number. So if I have 32 students, I have one through 32. And they keep that number the whole time. So the first block is puts them in groups by numbers. So it'll be like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So they're in groups of four. Okay, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12. So it tells them, okay, here's your group that starts. Then the next block of numbers, it mixes all the numbers up. So one students one through eight will stay in the same place and everybody else will move to a different group. 
and then it'll have another block of numbers and everybody will move to a different group. So essentially this document will, will shuffle the students for you so that they're in a new group of four every single time that you move or transition or however you want to call it. Uh-huh. So I use that document probably every single week while I, the entire time I was teaching because it made groups for me really quickly. And so one thing that I started to get really good at was to have students give many presentations in groups of four. So if I had a presentational speaking test, I'd have them get into these groups of four, present, get into another group of four, present, get into another group of four, present. Then I became, I had to learn how, learn this skill, but I became skilled at walking around listening to different students at different times. So the whole point of them giving the presentation several times is so that I had several opportunities to listen to, to all 32 them. kids, oh, which can great. be really challenging in a class yeah. of 34 or more, right? Um, but that way they were seeing different students. They got to practice their presentation. So maybe the first time they were really nervous, but by the fourth or fifth time they did it, it was like cake, right? And these were never very long presentations. I'm talking mm -hmm. like one or two minutes tops. Yeah. Sometimes they had a visual they were sharing, whatever it was. But that helped me so much with my presentational tasks because that maybe took, you know, 45 minutes of my class period, but they were getting a lot of speaking practice, a lot of listening practice. And I had several opportunities to walk around and listen to them. I really like that, Lexi. That's awesome. And you know what else it does? It gives students a second or third opportunity. So you might swing yeah. by, hear them one time. They might not be ready yet to celebrate their best performance, right? And then you could go by and you could always, you know, even give them a little bit of feedback if you needed to and, and, and come around again, so to speak. I think that's great. I've, um, I've heard of teachers doing stations with mm -hmm. the, you know, sort of that station idea with IPAs as well. So one group's doing writing, another group yeah. is doing some sort of speaking with the teacher being able to, you know, manage and listen and the other ones, um, you know, doing whatever, um, and working on self-assessments and things like that. So I've heard that's another way to kind of manage that, yeah, I how to give them sort of a thing for interpersonal um, tasks. Stations were my best friend. That's awesome. Yeah, and then you know there are some online tools you know that yeah. you can use if you you know I I prefer doing the online to the in person you know like for sure. But again, I never had that system, so it was a painful process of trying to listen to you know yeah thirty plus forty plus however. Oh kids, yes, you know, and it can be chaos. Have, so. But I really think something that I had to learn was to embrace the chaos in order to control the chaos in a way. Yeah. And it can look chaotic, but in my head, if I have a system of how it's working and if I've trained students, we've done this enough, I've trained students that they know what to expect, then the chaos can be okay. That, <laughs> yeah, it's control. I like that controlled chaos. That's yes. That's awesome. What's your last bit of advice? So I'm let's say I'm a teacher and I have, you know, maybe Maybe I've not done IEPs a lot, integrated performance assessments. Maybe I have, but I, they're not quite manageable for me. Like, what is your biggest sort of advice? Oh, I think that we have to remember that our assessments are not the end of the world. And if you are experimenting, that is great. You are going to find out what works for you and works for your students you do not need to grade everything. So if you give an assessment and it tanks, that was an activity that you did one day that doesn't need to go in a grade book anywhere. And that's okay. And just to, I, especially now, I keep saying this, but the climate now 
Teachers yeah. need a break, really, really need a break. And I hate to say it, but I don't know if anybody's going to give teachers that break. I think they really need to give it to themselves right now. I really hope that changes. I hope that there is some huge shift and and teachers' lives are just immediately easier for whatever that shift is. But right now, teachers have to put up those guards to take care, to protect themselves, to protect their time, protect their energy. And so whatever teachers find that works for them in order to protect that valuable time and energy, they have got to do it and share it with others too, because I love that. that's going to be your biggest lifesaver. So there's no IPA police that are going <laughs> around and checking. There's no grading police to make sure you're doing this the proper way, right? Nobody's um, getting raises based on the amount of comments <laughs> they leave or corrective feedback marks they leave. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the last, last thing I want to say, um, which really just plays off of that, is that um, I heard once one of the, and, and again, I, I, who knows why I heard it, um, but it was in general in one of my PDs, probably sitting in a school, probably something that I didn't want to hear. Uh, you probably Marzano and Hattie and, you know, all the, all the stuff when I was being evaluated on it. Uh, but anyways, one of the things that they said about a high leverage teaching practice, and that is you can do it imperfectly and it has, it still has impact. It still has positive impact. So doing an IPA and grading it or presenting it and doing it imperfectly is yeah. still very valuable. Right. And what, you know, imperfectly, whatever that means, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think that you don't have to be perfect at it to have it be a really great, you know, experience for oh, you exactly. and for your students. And so I think, you know, keeping that in mind and, you know, um, because I think, I tend to revert back to my easy way of doing things quicker when I'm under stress oh, yeah. and I, and exactly. I don't have the time and I need that. It's tempting for me maybe, you know, to, you know, just do a, a achievement sort of test, right. Do, do something on what they don't know or the vocabulary and stuff like Look that. Right. Others paragraphs. Yeah. 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 Survival mode. Imperfect. Absolutely. I totally. Yeah. And it's okay. It's yeah. it's okay. People should be able to give themselves permission to do those things, to make themselves comfortable, to get them through that week, to to make sure that they're feeling good to come back the next week. Exactly. You're so and right. And then if you find one of those little tricks, like the little box mixer upper sort of thing of that, you share it, right? So I mean, being able to to share those tips to make every like, you know, lighten everybody's load. So I appreciate you, Lexi, um, you know, helping teachers, you know, really focusing on the teacher experience and, and how to make these high leverage teaching practices manageable and doable uh, for teachers. And and I think that's one of your your strong gifts. And thank I really appreciate you. you sharing that today um, with teachers. So thank you so much. Thanks for having and me. thank you everybody for listening to another episode. Lexi, we'll have to have you back. And, and what other hacks could you tell us about next time that you have some teacher? Um, we already talked about uh, IPAs. What else do you got in your pocket for next oh, time? Oh, I have a bunch of interpersonal things I would love to share because that All was right. what I felt like I was good at. <laughs> Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and, and set something else up on the calendar to do that. So thank you so much. And Thanks, have a great rest of your day. You too.